Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you found your way here around the race. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship this morning is by William F. Schultz. Come into this place of peace and let its silence heal your spirit. Come into this place of memory and let its history warm your soul. Come into this place of prophecy and power, and let its vision change your heart. We have people in this congregation with beliefs and practices from all the major world religions, including neo-paganism, including staunch atheism, including mystical humanism. They cannot all even be named. What holds us together then? How do we all sit in the same room every Sunday morning? Well, one of the things that holds this congregation is its mission statement, which we wrote on the wall and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading this morning is a quote from Clarissa Pinkola Estes. How does one know if she has forgiven? You tend to feel sorrow over the circumstance instead of rage. You tend to feel sorry for the person rather than angry with them. You tend to have nothing left to say about it all. This is the time in our service when we Breathe together deeply, where we take everything that has rattled us down inside with our breath, come to the still place. I won't say, just let it go. I will say, maybe ask yourself, if there is a healthy reason to hang on to all those thoughts. Gently inquire. Keep breathing. The wisdom of all of the religions of the world say that it is in this still place that we can speak to God as we understand God, or listen to our inner wisdom, or just breathe in the stillness. Let us enter the wise silence together. So I used to have a friend who worked for an asphalt paving company. And 
the boss, the guy who owned the company, whenever he would buy a new work truck, he would drive it into the yard, and he would gather all the guys around, and he would take a big metal pipe and go, wham, and just ding the heck out of the back of the truck. And, um, of course, it hurt because it was a new truck. And he would say, guys, this is a working truck. I want you to work with this truck. I don't want you to worry about the paint. And so that was his philosophy of how to make that plain to the guys. And I think we all want to keep things nice. You know, you make a new friend, you want to keep the friendship just perfect, not like those other friendships. <laughs> I have a new chance now, I'm going to make this one perfect. Or you have a new marriage and you want to keep it perfect. Or you build a new church and you want to keep it really perfect. And then your new friend tells a secret to somebody that you told them hoping they wouldn't tell anybody. You have a fight with your new spouse. Somebody spills grape juice on the carpet in the new sanctuary. And you go, this is why we can't have nice things. And I think forgiveness is a good way to move forward into the working part of the relationship. You know, you have a ding in the church, you have a ding in the friendship, you have a ding in the marriage, good, fine. You forgive and you go on, if you can. And so it becomes a useful church building. It becomes a real friendship. It becomes a working truck of a marriage. You know... It's your marriage. It's still got good horsepower. It's still nice to drive. It just has a few dings. So what? Um, Great Canadian poet Leonard Cohen said, You can add up the parts, but you won't have the sum. You can strike up the march, but there is no drum. Every heart, every heart to love will come, but like a refugee. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Every heart to love will come like a refugee. What I think of when I hear that is that we seem to try everything else but love first. First you try, you're living in the land of perfection. So you're going to do everything right. And then when that doesn't quite work, you flee to the land of control. (laughs) All right, everything wasn't right that last time. We just have to tighten down. We just have to try harder. I just have to keep a better eye on you. (laughs) Because it's never us, really, that did the bad thing. And then we flee from the land of control into the land of love. Or maybe you come a different way. Maybe you start in the land of need or the land of dependence and then flee to the land of love. Cohen says, we come to love like a refugee. And then we leave again. Uh, We forget. We can't hold it in mind. But if we're lucky and if we're wise, we always come home to the land of love. But how do we live with the cracks? 
How do we live with the cracks in a friendship? How do we live with the cracks in our experience of a lover? How do we live with the cracks in our sense of ourself? One of the ways to live with the cracks is by the practice of forgiveness. So, you have a ribbon, a piece of ribbon in your hand. Does everybody have one? Does anybody not have it? Everybody, you guys did a good job picking them up when you came in the door. So, I want you to think of something that you need to forgive in somebody else, what they did to you, or something you did that you need to forgive yourself for, because that's the second part of this sermon. And tie a knot in the ribbon just to represent this knotty problem, this thing that needs forgiving. Just hold on to it for a bit. So how do we do it, really? How do you do it? How do you forgive somebody? How do you forgive yourself? What, what are, are there steps? Are there things to know about it? People just say, oh, I forgive you, and you just don't know, how did that happen in there? How, what does it mean? And I think there are a couple things to say. And I preach about this every year, but I, I try to say different stuff every year. I think one of the first things that we do is we, we understand that we don't have to wait for the person who wronged us to apologize. Because, you know, don't hold your breath, right? Sometimes. And then you look at, you, you allow yourself to become aware of the damage that not forgiving is doing to you and to the people around you. You're dragging that wrong around everywhere you go. The person who wronged you doesn't really notice probably. But you're dragging it around everywhere you go. So you forgive because it's better for you and the people you love. Nelson Mandela famously said, um, holding on to resentment is like drinking poison, expecting your enemy to die. It just doesn't work. It poisons you. And whatever's poisoning you poisons the people who love you. Because being poisoned makes a person grumpy. I don't know if you've noticed that, have you? And I think forgiving also means that you stop dwelling on the wrong. You know what I mean when I say dwelling on the wrong? I think we all kind of have done that. Where you just watch the movie of it over and over again, or you tell yourself the story of it over and over again, whether it's you, something you did, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night with a start, and you go, oh, I can't believe I said that. So when you find yourself in that loop, you invite yourself to think about something else. Dwelling isn't always very controllable, but sometimes you can have a little influence, just becoming unwilling to dwell. And asking yourself that very important question, is there a healthy reason to dwell on this? You don't have to use your willpower, you just ask, just inquire. So the dwelling is one thing, and the story you tell yourself about what happened is another thing. 
we've talked about this over and over again. In life, there's what happens and there's the story you tell about what happens, right? And so when somebody does something to you, sometimes it's kind of delicious to tell the story over and over again and see that look on people's face where they validate you and they go, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. But that's really fun. But as soon as that's over, as soon as you've milked that for all it's worth, you try to tell yourself a story that's maybe more accurate. You may not know a story that's less hurtful. For example, we tell ourselves that this person said this thing to me or didn't invite me to that thing or ignored me, looked right through me because they despise me. They do it because they despise me or because they don't love me or because they don't love me right or because they never loved me. This has made it clear, you have never loved me. That's quite a dramatic story. But it may not be accurate. You know what I mean? And it's hurtful. Or this person did that thing because they think you're stupid, or they think you're negligible, or they think whatever. So you imagine that you could maybe invite yourself to think of a different story about it. Maybe they were blinded by pain, or maybe they were um, careless, or maybe they were very angry and have few skills on how to handle their anger, or maybe they're just not a kind person. And so you tell yourself the story that's the least hurtful about what happened, while also being possibly accurate. But sometimes you never know. And sometimes you can ask the person, what, what are you trying to get at? Why would you say something like that? What are, you, what are you trying to do here? But they won't know. They'll go, oh, no. When you let go of what somebody did to you, or when you let go of what you did, if you're trying to forgive yourself, does that mean you forget about it? I think not. I think not. Over the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, it says, forgive, but never forget. If somebody did something really bad, you need to have that information. This is a person who can do something like that. Whether it's because they're careless or blinded by anger or whatever, they're a person who can do something like that. That's good information for you to have. And then you have a choice to make. Do I stay in relationship to this person or not? And if this person is my new friend and they told a secret that I told them, then I know this person who, this person who I like, and I'd like to go out to lunch with them again or whatever, they don't keep secrets, so I just won't tell them stuff. And if you can live with having a friend who's, who doesn't have the same perfection to offer that you do, <laughs> then go ahead and be friends. But you have to, I think, you have to protect yourself I think vulnerability is wonderful and magical, but I don't think you have to um, have idiot vulnerability and leave yourself open to being damaged by a person who damages. And you may forgive them, and then if you continue the relationship, you may want to make a boundary with them. For example, you might say, I will not talk to you anymore about this subject. I will not leave my children alone with you. I will no longer talk to you after you've had two drinks. One, maybe, but I can tell 
by the sound of your voice how many you've had. A lot of people who drink don't understand that their kids and everybody around them can tell how many exact drinks they've had by the sound of their voice. But most people can. So you draw a boundary. I'm not going to talk to you anymore under this circumstance or that circumstance. (laughs) You know, I was a couples counselor for many years, and I um, had one couple. I said, do you want to make a container for this one recurring fight that you always have? Um, like say we're going to set the timer for 15 minutes and fight for 15 minutes, let it go when the timer dings, or we're going to just have it uh, while we're walking around the yard outside, or um, you're going to make some kind of, so it doesn't just infect your whole life. They decided that they would only talk about this thing while they were both standing up in the bathroom. Not very comfortable, not very um, lovely environment. So you go, oh, you want to talk about that? Come with me. We're going, we're going to the bathroom. So you decide whether or not to stay in a relationship. You might make a boundary. You tell yourself the least hurtful story about what happened. And then you try to move forward without dragging that wrong behind you. One of the most striking examples of forgiveness that happened this year was the shooting in Charleston. I watched that I watched that with horror as we all did. And when the families of the victims and the survivors went to talk to that little white racist boy They told him their stories. They honored him with their stories. I thought he should have really appreciated that. Not sure whether he did or not. Don't care. When I'm a better person, I'll care about... (laughs) And then they forgave him. And I was outraged. And I was sure that this level of spirituality and forgiveness was some kind of church brainwashing or um, because they knew after centuries of being terrorized in South Carolina as uh, black folk that if they had made any kind of a fuss, the violence would have rained down uncontrollably. Is that why they forgave? Because they were victims of terror for many years? They said it was because of their faith, and I want to honor them and respect their words and take them at their word. And so if they forgave him because of their faith, I I see them as as inspiration and as teachers for me. Jungian teacher Clarissa Pinkola Estes says... Forgiveness seems unrealistic because we think of it as a one-time act that has to be completed in one sitting. Forgiveness has many layers, many seasons. It's not all or nothing. You can do a 95% forgiveness and you're a saint. 75 is wonderful. 60% is fine. Keep working with it. Keep playing with it. The important things are to begin and to continue. Just begin and continue. There's a healer inside, she says, who will help you if you get out of the way. 
For some, temperamentally, this is easy, and for some, it's harder. You're not a saint if it's easy for you, not a bad person if it's not easy. You are who you are, and you do it the way you do it, all in due time. I think the hardest thing is to forgive yourself. Because we feel somehow that it's righteous and upright to hold ourselves to a higher standard than we hold other people. Come on. If you look at it, really, it's kind of arrogant. I could forgive my best friend for doing this, but I can't forgive me? What's that all about? Do I like my best friend better? I know myself better. When you want to forgive yourself, you follow the same steps that you do if you're forgiving someone else. You stop dwelling. You tell yourself the most true and least harmful story that you can. You know how sometimes you look back on your life and you look back at something that happened, many of you are not old enough to look back 20 years, but when you look back 20 years and you think of something you did or couldn't do back then, you have all kinds of compassion. You go, of course I couldn't do that. I had two small children and I had a full-time job and I was trying to do blah, 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 blah. Why was I so hard on myself? And so... You tell yourself the best story that you can while still being honest. And one way to get started forgiving yourself is to realize that not forgiving yourself makes you more of a pain to be around for the people who love you. Because they not only have to be around you the way you are, but they have to always reassure you that the way you are is fine, which is work. Best just to be who you are and let them deal with who you are. They love you. They're there for some reason. Don't make them love you and reassure you all the time. And sometimes when you've done something that you can't let go of, you can't forgive yourself, or you start feeling like you don't deserve to have a good love, and so you start trying to destroy it. That's no fun for the person you're trying to destroy, by the way. Or you feel like you don't deserve for good things to happen to you, or that you don't have anything to give people. Another way of getting started is to realize that if you can't treat yourself fairly and with love, you can't do that for others. So you acknowledge the wrong you did. Yes, I did it. You ask for forgiveness, not from God, because God's not the one you did something to, from the person you did something to. Because I think we've all had people who did something bad to us, and they go, well, God's forgiven me. (laughs) You're like, well... That's nice. So you, you ask for forgiveness for the person that you've hurt, and then you try to make amends. Sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. Sometimes they'll let you, and sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll forgive you if you ask, and sometimes they won't. It's all right. You know you've done what you can, and then you let it go as much as you can. And you ask yourself, if my best friend told me, confessed, that she or he had done this thing that I did, what would I say to them? And then say that to yourself. Knowing that you've done something hurtful doesn't mean you're a bad person. Here's the truth. 
good folks and bad folks are the same folks for most of us. The line between good and bad, whatever those mean, runs right through the middle of all of us. And so, you know, of course there are extremes. There are bad people. I'm not talking about Hitler right now because the first person who talks about Hitler loses any argument that I'm having. But for regular people, for regular folks, you've got a little creative and a little destructive in you, like a Hindu god. You've got a little good and a little bad. Just because you did something that was destructive doesn't mean you're a bad person. You're a human person. Getting stuck in something you did wrong is useless, and it harms you. So try to do better. If you would like, if you are willing to begin to forgive this thing which is represented by the knot in your ribbon, you may want to begin to untie the knot. If you're not ready, take it home and begin to untie the knot when you are ready. There's no shame in not being ready. We just begin and continue. Will you say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.